Everything starts from awareness. Good leadership is simply a catalyst. Focus on the reason and you'll find inspiration in anything. This impact continues to grow. Conversation about intentionality. If you change nothing, nothing will change. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the 2033 Podcast. I'm Abigail. And I am Tim. And it is a beautiful day here in Brooklyn, New York. But it's not that beautiful of a day, actually. Yesterday, I ran into this too, but I just started the day in a bad mood, largely because of the weather. Um, and somebody was asking me, oh, how are you doing? And I was like, oh, it's bad. It's a bad day out. And they're like, no, no, it's actually like quite sunny out. And it's really nice. And I'm like, I look outside and it's beautiful blue sky. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I, I had no excuse for that. Um, so when you can't blame the weather for stuff, but... Who knows? I don't know. I mean, actually, I'm like, I'm glad you brought that up because I do feel like one of the things that this podcast is good at is not shying away from problems and being like, no, as you're figuring out your life, it sucks a lot of the time because you don't know what's happening. And we can talk about that. And we talk to people who don't know what's happening. They know kind of what they want. I see a transition coming. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> anyway, Abby is the queen of transitions. She, thank she's you. Very, she's seamless. Seamless. Thank I don't. I, or I don't know an A word, synonym for an A synonym for. I was trying to do alliteration, like like assimilated Abby or like like seamless Abby, but like How about like Abby? alacrity. Alacrity I move Abby. with alacrity. I alacrity like the word alacrity. Alacrity Abby. Alacrity. Cool. If someone, I don't know what Alacrius the adjective Abby. of alacrity. What's the adjective of alacrity? Alacrius. That's not a word. No, there's not an adjective. No, no, there isn't. We've discovered a hole in the English language. Dun, Run! Dun, dun. Go! <laughs> Go now! Escape! Before Wild Week still can! I don't know. Guys, what a day. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, dearest brother of mine, who are we speaking to today? <laughs> we are speaking to L Chen. <laughs> L is awesome. She's a friend of mine. We work doing a production this fall together, um, a device performance, and... Our paths have intersected in a number of ways since then. She is a social worker, a trained social worker, uh, studied out of the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. and Originally from China, right? Originally from Shanghai in China, yes. I mean, our most recent project, um, doing being a part of a performance with police and civilians, um, talking about policing um, with, with uh, the Iron Day Ensemble project. And she's a participant and has been involved in a number of cool conversations. She's also done work with prisons, um, doing music and theater-related activities with them, and has been involved in the Chinese social work community as well um, back in Shanghai. Yeah, Abby, what what did you think of this conversation? I was really inspired by Elle, and I was really grateful for how candid she was about how she is working through things in her life. And yeah, like I was saying a couple minutes ago that that's been such a major consistent theme for so many of the people we've spoken to over the last couple of years. And I appreciate when people are honest about that because I think it makes, when people are honest about the fact that they're figuring stuff out, they don't know what's happening, that there's a lot of confusion and a lot of setbacks. I think mm. it makes it okay for everyone else 
to talk about it as well instead of us all pretending all the time like things are going great like we know what's happening like we've got like things to brag about because honestly right now it's a really difficult time for a lot of people and um you know i'm talking about you know millennials (laughs) who are just like what do we do now what do we do now and gen z yeah and gen z yeah sorry all the generations all of the generations but i'm thinking specifically about folks in their 20s and 30s Mm -hmm. but yeah i think this conversation is going to mean a lot to you and i was so grateful for the chance to sit down and chat with l yeah i i personally related a lot to this and i think you all will too Elle, welcome to the show. Thank you. This is like a big deal because in the two years of doing this podcast, this is the first ever in-person interview we're doing. Well, in-person for some people. Yes, half half in person, <laughs> two-thirds in person. I am still remote, but Tim and Hell are in the same place. Yes, and if you could see what this setup is like. So Elle and I are on a couch. I have like a leaning tower of books and journals that is that because we, we video record as we record and and another tower for the mic. So it is a real high tech tech setup. And we ordered a headphone splitter for this very reason. And literally it is five stops away <laughs> being delivered. <laughs> so yes. uh, if you hear uh Tim's doorbell ring in the middle of this recording. It's because you'll, you'll know it's the Amazon <laughs> dude. You are now living in the great city of New York, and what what is bringing you energy? I love that question. Mm-hmm. It definitely would be the work that I'm doing right now as a participant with the Irondale Ensemble, and it is where a group of civilians and a group of police officers come together to have dinner, have really nuanced and emotionally, I want to say laboring, not not necessarily exhausting conversations, and a lot of laughter, a lot of joy through singing together, doing improv together, and being silly. And we have all of those components going on at not at the same time, but at every rehearsal. And we've been doing this for seven weeks. Yeah, about seven weeks now, which is wild. <laughs> it is wild. Um, three or four more to go until we have public-facing performances. Yes. Can you give us a little brief <laughs> overview? What is Irondale and what is this performance you're working on? So what we were told <laughs> by the facilitators in the performance is that Nobody knows what the performance is Mm going to look like until two, three days before, which sounds really, for the lack of a better word, right to me. Because so much of what we do is improv, we hear each other's stories. Some of them are more on the fun side. Some of them are very much on the side of injustice and fear. Um sometimes violence and we weave in and this is where I feel like words fail because I really I really had to live it to see how it 
how it is made in real life. In my 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 imagination before I went into the program had very little resemblance. I would say, other than knowing that we'll be singing together, I didn't know at all what was gonna happen. But we weave in sounds. We weave in different theater acting. Improv moments of people just mirroring each other's movements. I don't want to give away too much, and it will be. I don't know exactly what it will look like. I suspect it will be a stew of emotions and different experiences somehow being connected through. Our facilitators. This is this is an example where I am involved in a project ongoing with El, currently um, with actually actually working at the same time as a guest on the show on, a, on, a, on the same project, and I work on the facilitating end. And what what Ali you're talking about with bringing together civilians and police, um, just as an example, yesterday there was this amazing improv scene that went on between folks, most of whom I've never even touched theater. There's a couple of actors in the group, but it's a group of like, I guess, 15 or so cops and civilians doing just these amazing improv scenes. And a lot of it is funny. A lot of it goes into very direct messages of each other saying, hey, this is something that like I love about you. This is something I'm challenged about you. This is, but, but, but it's this amazing process where it's just, complete strangers talking about very serious issues through play and through games. And I've never quite seen anything like it and with with, with what your group is, uh, is doing. In my mind, back to your original question of what is bringing me energy. That's what I think this pro what makes this project so special is that, we are actually maximizing the different the the two ends of emotions we can we can get really heavy and five minutes later or maybe not even laugh really hard not in an acting way but as an ensemble sharing each other's real life story and then as an ensemble we're just making the sounds of laughter. It's not like we are doing we are doing this performance thing. A lot of us don't even have that awareness of we are performing. I speak for myself. I don't. In that space, I'm not thinking I'm performing. That's been something that I wanted to live and to see. Like, are there people doing this? Are there people doing this? And I finally found a group that really is holding nothing back and just seeing how far we can go on all fronts in terms of emotions. If I may ask, what's what's this? I've been looking around the city and the world looking for this. What What's that this? It's the, I think it's a few things. One is I've been looking for opportunities to work in the arts with police officers. And I've been wanted to do things where people can just be people. There are performances at the end of our project and our audience would frankly, unless they are psychic in some way, like never know what we went through Mm -hmm. because we weren't 
at least for the first part of it, we weren't going into this to think, oh, let's find a way to tell our story. We're just telling our story. We kind of got rid of that. This is going to sound, I'm speaking in drafts, like one of the things, best things I learned from this project. We got rid of that using art as a shield to hide behind. I've always wanted to look for opportunities where singing and dancing are not the, oh, you're singing, you're dancing. It's mm-hmm. cute. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, cute. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've always wanted to look for places where people can experience songs and dance and visual art, writing, whatever, to make us feel like we are actually each other's neighbors and keepers not necessarily i have to take care of you for the rest of my life but like i have more of a sense of we're all in this together (laughs) yeah exactly school musical bringing it back (laughs) all right i see you okay i have like 500 billion questions i'm gonna start with two um first one you mentioned like very briefly you were like i'm speaking in drafts what does that mean it to me it means to not be too precious with my words and let whatever wants to come out come out and if it doesn't really match what i want to express i will correct myself but i won't opt for holding myself back as default and allow myself to make mistakes allow myself to do a draft 2 a draft 3 just nothing i say is Definitive. Definitive. By the way, I suck at that. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, y'all can hear what I was talking just now. It was like, pause. And then some more pause. And that's just me after years of, for the lack of a better word, again, drafts, conditioning. And I am just starting to learn how to do it. Like, just let go a little bit more. So yeah, that's that. Well, I think that's sort of like one of the things that we love exploring in this show is the, I mean, is the process, is the drafts, Mm -hmm. is the like, yeah, we're not like, you know, we haven't made it in these fields that we have like so much that we have canned answers that we've said, like we've answered the same questions 500 times. I feel like you hear that in interviews with people who are like, you know, have accomplished amazing things, but they say things that are super polished. Their answers are always perfect. And you're like, okay, you've literally said this maybe 50 times. It has been drafted for you by your assistant. It has been combed over by a thousand PR people to make sure it works well from every single angle. And it is like pretty devoid of any real meaning because it's like, you know, been sanitized so much. Mm -hmm. And so I like, like, I'm so much more interested in the drafts, in the like the comments that are like being thought through while they're being said out loud. Like I'm like, that's the real thing. That's way more interesting because when you're speaking in drafts, you can change your mind you can make you know you can make mistakes and it's okay you can like you know add things to it take take things away so I just think like and I I, 
and there's two parts that I'm just like literally just going off on a tangent right now. I'm thinking out loud. I'm speaking in drafts. What? (laughs) But like it requires like patience on both ends. It requires for like the speaker to be like, I'm going to be patient with myself and give myself the space to, you know, make a, you know, maybe make a mistake, amend these statements. And it also takes patience on behalf of the listener too, to be like, oh, I am listening to a draft right now. You know, and maybe I will listen without as much judgment. Maybe I will be patient and like, you know, work with this person. You know, it's, I think we're so quick to like jump to really quick conclusions. But if you preface what you say by like, this is a draft, it's helpful, I think, just for people to know like, okay, we're all like, it gives people permission, I think. Yeah, what you were saying about like how you don't hear people speaking in draft enough in public that everything's very polished sometimes that like that polishing you can take away some of the the truth i think of behind certain statements like what sounds good in a soundbite like in politics um like there is this definitive policy that it's gonna work no matter what or this is the right answer uh religion uh um yeah political party um like things that you read on social media this is the answer no nuance um, takes away from what you were saying before, L, of what saying sometimes you can feel happy and sad at the same time. You can feel certain and uncertain. You can feel you can feel duality. You can feel two things at once. Um, and sometimes those are both true. And sometimes when you have that, like I, I, I'm saying the perfect thing, what sound what sounds good, quote unquote, is not often the most truthful. So how, how do we, yeah, how do we own that complexity? What what, what were you gonna say, Abby? Let's just like zero in real quick um, or not real quick, whatever, on the idea of police work. Why? Okay. Like, okay. I'm just going to stop saying how many questions I have because I want so many. So, um, <laughs> For those who are listening, she has many questions. So... That's so specific what you were saying. Like I you really were looking for arts that like brought community members and police together. Mm-hmm. Um, can you speak about why you thought that was important? And yeah, just like like why why that thing? Why is that needed and what is that process like? Is it hard? I feel like that would be really awkward, is my first thought. Yeah. Um the first thing I wanna say is what Abby, you and Tim were just talking about what I heard was the editing of speeches or sometimes censoring or sometimes, you know, drafts after drafts after drafts, but they are not spoken out. They are being, quote unquote, polished or tailored or targeted at people to, with the intent to generate some kind of effect. This has something to do with my answer, I promise. Um, When I was listening to you talking about that, the thing, the thought that came to my mind, and it visits me, I would say every day. There's so much pressure that I still feel, even though, well, there's no even though, I've just started working on this, like, with myself and with my friends, to not be seen as a person Hmm. and be seen as a role. So if you're a leader, then maybe you're supposed to lead. If I'm 
an artist, then maybe I'm supposed to make art. If people are in the PR world, they're supposed to make things look good. And so much of what I see around me on billboards, on social media, is this type of putting ourselves and each other not necessarily on a pedestal, but in a box. And, I mean, a pedestal is also a box. (laughs) So that was my experience growing up, was being seen as a label and not a person. That was a good, doing math in my head, a good six years of my kind of formal education, middle school and high school, for some reason, I was one of the targets in my school for bullying for my looks. And I would literally have people come to me and tell me that they were being asked why they would talk to me. So if folks came and talked to me and want to get to know me, their friends would ask them, why would you talk to Elle? What? Exactly. Because I had a label put on me being the undesirable one or the outcast. And when we are in our teens, all we wanted was to belong. So Mm. in some way, in a lot of ways, I was really blessed by that experience because I learned that lesson from a long time ago that what we see is very, very, very rarely the reality or what we think or what we think we know. So fast forward to college, I went to University of Michigan for college. And out of the blue, I don't remember how I found it. I just found it. There's this project called Prison Creative Arts Project. And that immediately drew me in because from my life, I had intuitively know that people who are deemed as the outcast, they have things that we are not willing to see Mm. and hear. And God forbid, share. So I went in right away. And also because singing and music saved my life. So I know there's at least something I could do to see. At at the time, I was freshman. Didn't even know what saviordom was. Um, still trying to figure that part out. <laughs> and <laughs> But I was just like, At the time, I was like, I want to get to know those people. That was my genuine thought. While a part of me is severely afraid of them. But that ended up being the most rewarding thing I ever done for myself. Because it was really sad. Even now, as I think about it, I feel like it's really sad that Every time I tell people the work I do in prison with people in prison, 
is the most rewarding and therapeutic thing I had done mm. up to that point. I fear for my dear life that that would lead people to think, oh, the system is working. F no, it's not. I don't know if you need to edit swear words out, but <laughs> no, it's not. Um, and when I was doing that work, when I was going inside to men's prison, women's prison, we would see the same group of people, kind of not similar in content, but very similar in format in terms of our work with the police. It's weekly. We show up every week for 10 to 12 weeks. Unfortunately, we don't get to eat food, but we do improv, we sing, and so much healing came out of it. It taught me a lot of the foundations I built my values on. And every week I meet different correctional officers who are also drastically different from person to person. Some are way easier for me to put the oppressor label on. Others, as an example, one time we walked into a prison and everybody seemed really, either really scared or really stressed out to me. And we learned that that day was the funeral of a correctional officer who had committed suicide. Ooh. And he was about my age. I was 24. Yeah, I was 24. So the prison was understaffed. Everybody was exhausted. And I saw the exhaustion come out in different ways. It could be, don't you bother me. It could be withdrawal, just not talking, a lot of silence, staying, staying put wherever they were. Or it could be just not knowing some folks looked to me like they didn't know what to do. Well, that's all of this was my projection, but the feeling in the air was that it was heavy. And that was the only time I had a correctional officer came and hug me. We are not allowed to hug anybody we work with inside prison. It would get us into trouble. It could potentially jeopardize the program. Over-familiarity, quote-unquote, is a thing that is scrutinized. So everybody feels, I don't want, maybe unsafe is not an accurate word, but everybody feels uptight. Yeah, uptight in their bodies. To have a correctional officer came and hug me as I offered condolences and said, I don't know how I could help, but if there's a way to introduce some yoga programs in there, I want to help. And what I got was a hug. That was a shock to my system. That was when I mm. realized, okay, it's this, this way of, trying to see folks as more than what they are seeing, more than what I think they are, really needs to apply to more than just people who I feel good about working with. And I've been looking at trying to look for programs like that ever since. U of M now, I mean, kudos to them. My social work professor 
at University of Michigan is also working with the police, but she started after I left. Um, I still found Irondale. So, yeah. I don't know if it was a coherent answer, but that was kind of my journey. <laughs> that's that's fascinating. I, I'm really glad that you said that the prison system, <laughs> the system we have is like up, that it's not working right. That like if we have the correctional officers, if they're committing suicide, um, I can't imagine what it's like to be an inmate there you know if it's bad for people that work there i'm sure it's even worse for the people who are within the system and i don't see how that benefits our society or actually like helps anyone who might need help what do you see as like i think it's so interesting that you have used the arts and participated in the arts in places that people don't normally associate like most people do theater like in a theater you know um in front of people for a show and it's like for people who have paid to be there or in a school setting whatever but you have participated in theater um with police officers and in prisons and that like is definitely like non-traditional i know it brought us a lot of laughter i know it brought us a lot of moments that I will cherish for the rest of my life. Can you give us an example of one of those moments? Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I was working with that organization from 2014 to 2020. And this happened 2017. No, 2016. 2016 was when this happened. Um, And at the time... Our professors in part of our program. So how this works is we go into prison every week and we also have the choice to, along with serving, take a restorative justice class. So from that class, I learned from my professor that singing, organized singing is not allowed in prison Mm, unless you're in church service, like religious services or like our workshops. My professor's guess at the time was that they are afraid they will be passing codes, but we don't know why. Like there are a lot of things to give you another example of things prisons have banned in the past. They have banned all color on mailing materials before so you can only do black and white in other words if somebody's kid want to draw a crayon picture and send it into their parents inside prison sorry xerox copy it it's like charcoal (laughs) that's Uh that's wild that's crazy so at the time we we went in knowing that and i was co-facilitating an acapella workshop with two other women in a in an adult men's prison so it was the three of us young college slash uh recent grad from u of m and i believe 12 or 13 men of different ages only two of them were white everybody else was people of color but we had people from 
all age groups, and because they had their prison number printed on their uniform, you could kind of tell how much time they have served. Because if the number started with a one or a two, they've been there a while. Wow. Um, so we have people who've been there for quite a long time, and we have people who are there not as long. And we worked for ten weeks in that particular case, and at the end we had a final performance. So through that ten weeks, one of the songs that really got the group riled up. But not like、um, agitated, or my my word vocabulary is short, having short circuit problem right now. <laughs>、um, riled up, not in a anxious way, but in a more more emotionally together way. So the that got the group together was an original song written by two of our participants called Freedom.、Hmm. When it came to our performance day. Of course, we performed the song. We had the opportunity to have a little wrap-up session. The performance day was also our very last day of working together, so we know we wouldn't be seeing any of those men anytime soon, most likely ever again.、Um, in our wrap-up session, we decided to sing the song again. This time, instead of facing an audience, it was all of us in a circle. The three of us, co-facilitators, the twelve men, and the people we brought in from U of M to watch the show. So, if you can imagine in a prison classroom, which is all white, fluorescent light. A group of men, some of them trying to hold back tears, some of them are making fun of me, laugh, crying, but we're all singing together one song. And at the end of the song, we knew it was the end of the session, so we had to leave. As people who are visiting the prison, we needed to be separated from the prisoners as we make the exit. So basically, the saddest part: we walk out, they walk onto the yard, and back into their unit. So the route out and the yard has a barbed wire fence in between, so we can still see each other. On our walk out, the men they reach the other side of the fence. They started walking in the yard, and they put their hands on each other's shoulders. And every one of them was waving the other hand. And they stand together openly on the yard, which was not allowed, not supposed to be allowed. But they did it to serenade us out the prison,、mm. and, and they kept singing that song. They kept singing. The lyrics are "Freedom is all I need," and "God, come rescue me, place me where you want me to be." That's what they repeated. Over and over and over again.、Um, so, and everybody else on the yard. I saw a few men like clapping, as in keeping tempo for them. Wow! And the correctional officers didn't stop them. And they sang and they sang and they sang, and we were
by the time we got to the we we got to the very edge of the yard and we had to enter like a double I don't know what you call it but like a double glass door and you could no longer hear the sound of the yards I look back and they were still standing together so that was the moment that I was like all of us we did we did good um to me it would it would always go down in my history book as a as a miracle of yeah just courage and things that people do when things that people do for love things that people do when they actually truly care for one another it's it's my favorite protest <laughs> to be honest it's my favorite protest how, how did how did that when you when you were witnessing that whole experience how did that make you feel in the moment oh i was losing it <laughs> yeah 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 i was just falling the whole way out mm. i was normally the chatty one <laughs> with the our people who were escorting us with the officer liaisons that we need to maintain relationships with because i know um i needed and i wanted to do that i knew it was important but that day i was just like it honestly made me feel very 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 loved mm. and perhaps for the first time extremely valuable mm. like to this day it's not an easy thing for me to feel valuable as a person and i don't i don't blame it all on myself <laughs> so that that was one of the things like any time i feel like i'm on i need a life raft that's one of my life rafts for sure oh just was like thinking about i think the idea of like an emotional life raft to having a memory like that is like really important because i agree that sometimes it can be like not sometimes all the time it can be so hard to feel valuable and to feel like you're actually contributing to something in the world i feel like we've all been told like make a difference, go out there, like change the world, like, you know, whatever. And then it's like, am I doing that? <laughs> like, I don't think so. Not really. Even in a micro level, I'm like, I, d I don't know. I, I can't say that I am um, making any sort of tangible impact. But it's in like, for me, there is like this was a long time ago. This was like back in high school when I was uh, a counselor at camp, like at summer camp. <laughs> And I had like a, a a challenging situation with one camper over the course of a summer who it just was like it was difficult for her. And at the end of the summer, she wrote me a letter. It's really sweet. This like eleven year old girl wrote me a letter just about like how meaningful like our friendship had been over the course of the summer. And that letter, I have like I carry it with me in my bag everywhere. Like I can't, I, I don't like I haven't read it in a few years, but I think about it sometimes like whenever I'm feeling like. What is the – I'm like, well, in that moment, I was valuable. Like, in that summer when I was 17 years old, I was – like, that was a, a place that I can point to in my head. And I, I feel like that's, like, really important <laughs> to have as people. Um, yeah, I don't know what I would do with if I didn't have that letter. I don't know. I'm so glad you got to have that. I'm so glad mm. she wrote it. Like, yeah. that was so nice of her. What a thoughtful little girl. Yeah, and 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 the, you never know when those little things, those little moments make a difference. For for me, the moment that I thought of that I hold on to because I, I I 
like doing theater and social justice work, it's often like, as you were saying, am, like, am I making a difference? Am I causing any healing or I'm just like showing up and something is happening. But I co-facilitated a, a workshop this past spring at my, at my former college on how do you foster an anti-racist community? Cause there are a lot of international students um, and there was a lot of racism on campus and it was a 40 hour workshop. It was amazing. Some really hard moments for a number of reasons. And I often think back and say like, Oh, this part could have been better. This part could have been done differently. And, and, and were we successful? Did we have the right lens? Did we, did we, were we too structured? Were we not structured enough? Blah, 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 blah. Um, did I listen enough? And the part that comes back to that I come back to is not even during the workshops, but the moments after it ended when participants would stay at first for maybe five minutes afterwards, then the next one, 10 minutes, the next time, half an hour until by the end, when we were talking about really hard topics, people were having two hour like dance parties um, by the end of the workshop after we were talking about like really difficult themes of racism. And that just was testament to saying, Hey, like at a very minimum relationships were built, connections were built that wouldn't have been there before. And and now what you're talking about like provided an alternative. You provided a shift. You you stirred the pot. <laughs> it's no longer stagnant. Something happened as you as you kind of said that there was a brief alternative and, and a moment to resist and a moment to to do something differently. And I think that I don't know if it, what you'd call it, but it's but it's something. <laughs> yeah. I I didn't think about it this way then. Now, when I look at it, and when I hear your example of having that 40 hour of intensity and followed by a two hour dance party, Mm -hmm. I hear the words dance party and my immediate response was huge success. Mm. (laughs) Um, I don't think I, I don't I no longer think I need to cause any healing to be successful because then I will be miserable for the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> what do you do then? <laughs> what, yeah, because one of the things, and I mean, I hear this term, not term, I hear this phrase so often, intent and impact, intent and impact. And in social work, when I was in social work school, a lot of times I hear people say intent versus impact, which to me sounds very different. It sounds almost contradictory, the two things. And I, I don't want to spoil. So the <laughs> Tim and I are in Tim's apartment mm-hmm. and because he has all the book towers, I get to see some of the books he has. And one of the books that's right under my eyes is in my nose is the artist's way. Um, Which I have not started yet. <laughs> yeah. And I read this line. I'm paraphrasing here. When joy gets rep- uh, when joy gets replaced with quote unquote, what's the use? That hit me like a thousand lightning bolt. Because I'm just thinking if we have this is where I'm at right now and it might change. If we whatever we did, if we built relationships to where people can write a letter, people can sing for one another, people can dance with each other. And have those moments of joy, which is not really to me like we're high or like we're laughing, uh, senseless. It's just some sense of 
gladness. I saw this at Andy Grammer concert.、Um, <laughs> that joy is gladness despite of the circumstances.、Mm. Um, that at least ring partly true to me. But if we've done that, if we've built relationships, like it has my stamp of success right away. And I try. It <laughs> doesn't work all the time, but I hope one day I wouldn't automatically have the second follow-up thought of, "But what's the use?" Mm, mm. You know, it's it's kind of like it's as if our joy is not a success, and that's really sad because that is how I still to this day default and look at most of the things, which is pretty messed up.、Mm. I, I but I think it's just. Like a capitalist kind of training in our minds to put a value judgment on everything we do. Was it good? Was it not good? Was it somewhere in between? And as opposed to just saying like, no, something was good in the moment. Something felt positive. Something felt uplifting. And I, I, it's not you. I think it's the way that society works that we have to put a value judgment on everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's just. Kind of all the experiences that we've been talking about, of all of my experience that we've been talking about, they've all been messing with my head, quite frankly, of like how I want to value things. Because I don't think I can shut off that voice, exactly the voice that you were saying. What's good? Is this good?、Mm-hmm. Is this useful? Is this helping someone? Oh my god! Even if saying it like hurts my stomach these days, <laughs> I. Don't want to be like that,、mm. and I'm very thankful that the work with police officers, the work with people in prison, all the work I've done, gave me these places where I can remind myself there's another way.、Mm. <laughs> That's pretty much. I at the end of the day, I am very selfish in that way. That. <laughs> Every single every single project, I hope I commit myself to, like past, present, future, has this as its space that it gives me this space to explore other values where I don't have to say is this useful, where I can just be like, happiness is not happiness, but experiencing things together with other people is the most important. Let go of everything else.、Mm. It's something that I would like. I'd love to kind of reframe the way we view it societally because I know I've talked about this on on our show before, but I do a lot of work with nonprofits, a lot of video work with nonprofits,、mm-hmm. and the thing that like because we do a lot of videos to raise money for things and reach donors and stuff, and the number one thing that organizations kind of need to prove is impact. They need to show what they've done and like how they've improved people's lives. The like you know kind of the、uh, the fees not the feasible the tangible change that you can measure, and I understand it. You know I get where they're coming from because that's like what donors want to see. Like if、yep. people are deciding where like where they're going to put money, they want to sh- see an organization that they feel is actually productive, and you measure that in numbers and in you know feasible like tangible change, but. 
the reality is like a lot of what, you know, what you're describing and kind of what I've seen in my own experience, like the best, the most important change is not tangible. Like it's a feeling. It's those moments of celebration, of connection that like you can't describe in words and you certainly can't measure uh, numerically. And it's hard because like in this capitalist society, like the way that, you know, we get money for things is by proving its worth. And I feel like to change that, um, it's going to take like a big kind of restructuring of how we view uh, organizations, like why, like, you know, nonprofit, like how we view nonprofits, how we work with organizations that are much more focused on process than on impact. And I think like, <laughs> not to like, you know, I don't want to like commodify the whole process of not commodifying something, but the more that we do that, <laughs> In our, you know, <laughs> you understand what I'm trying to say. The more that we do it in our own lives, the more that I think like other people will pick up on that. So I think there will be like there actually is usefulness in trying not to be useful for every single thing. Absolutely, it makes sense. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> commodifying the commodifying the commodifying. <laughs> I just I just feel like it. There are people out there. So we were talking about duality last night. Was one of the gathering nights for the police and civilian. Um, we gather every Tuesday and at dinner table, we were talking about duality and the duality I mentioned is this experience of mine working from nonprofit to nonprofit to nonprofit, living this through line of being somebody who's making an impact on the outside. And a lot of times that impact is being portrayed as enhancing well-being one way or another or advancing social justice one way or another and come back to the inside to when I see myself or when I see within the organization oftentimes we put ourselves at the very last like we are supposed to serve we are a cog in the serving machine Mm. so produce produce serve serve or uh, raise money, raise money, raise money, keep the program going, keep the program going. And a lot of times what I fear, what I think, I hope it's not true, is that we have lost sight of whatever we are trying to give within ourselves first. So whatever we're actually giving is pretty half-assed because it's playing to it's playing to a role. It's playing to a box. We no longer have that kind of drive to actually do it, to make mistakes because we can't, because we need to prove impact (laughs) or to take a break and reconfigure because we can't, (laughs) because we need to prove impact. And that machine is not really human. Yeah. Yeah. I feel you. That's what I'm I'm saying. Yeah. And and, and it, it is hard. We're sorry, you, what were you going to say, Abby? No, I was just saying that it was It's hard. It's hard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is hard. Well, I do want to add one thing. I feel like if there's any point, I wasn't sure um, we would get here, but we did. That I just want to say there is hope. <laughs> uh, not, not, to, not to say everybody get out of the nonprofit world, because that's certainly not the truth for everybody i did for now i'm still working with one but i'm not i'm no longer a staff member of any um 
I say there is hope because I know there are people out there who are doing everything they can to help individuals. Doesn't matter what organization you're working in, to say, come to your senses, like literally our senses, as in our body sensation. Because I'll just I'll just name her.、Um, she's my personal hero, Martha Beck,、mm-hmm. and. The moment, quite literally, the moment I fell in love with her was the moment she said, "Culture drives us to consensus, and our nature drives us to our senses, which is how our body feels, what we're feeling, what we're seeing, what we're sensing."、Mm. And I love it because that's what that's what gives me hope is that. I don't know where the change is gonna come from. I hope one place that it comes from is more and more people pay attention to our senses, to our bodies, and when we feel like something is wrong, even if we can't do enough about it on the outside, we'll just get honest about it with ourselves first, and maybe over time. The the ball will get rolling. That's like that's why I think there's hope because there's so many people out there, more and more. I would say, that's that's working in that field. I love that concept because both culture and nature,、uh, like like b- both culture and nature, are so essential to us as human beings in the world.、Um, Like the, the the hallmark of humanity is that we live in, in cultures.、Um, we also live on planet Earth, <laughs> and 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 it seems that like when we so many of the world's issues occur when we don't respect cultures and when we don't respect nature. Literally, one is the destruction of our planet, planet, and one is the destruction of human beings themselves,、um, and they're intertwined,、um, and they can't link that and. I, yeah, and and I'm I'm reading this really great book called Sapiens:、um, yes. A Brief History of Humankind by Yuval Noah Harari,、um, who's awesome. And <laughs> they, basically, one of the main points is that we should、uh, view human beings as animals,、um, and that that's a healthy thing. And saying that, like when, like part of why human beings are so fucked up is is that when we became、um, We became much more powerful on like the the food chain than、um, like much faster than how evolution could catch up with us. So in our minds, we're still like apes that are trying to like joust each other over territory. And、um, but saying like, no, we're actually the most powerful now. We don't have to compete as much over scarce resources. But in our minds, we're still that way. And and saying that like we have so screwed up our nature、um, and and each other because of that. And saying that, like, and I think what you're doing, like, the the more that you can come viscerally to those sent to, what are my sensations in my body right now? Am I listening to myself? Am I am I responding to myself or what somebody's saying I should do or what others are saying I should do? And 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 similarly, are we really listening to others around us in our same culture?、Mm-hmm. Uh, are both such important aspects? This has been an awesome conversation. It was not the it's not the route that I expected it to take, but it's been awesome.、Um, usually, that's one of the best things happen in life.、Um, you know, you you mentioned this thing of like there is hope out there.、Uh, 
Um, I don't want you to talk about like where, 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 like where, where, why are you hopeful? Where are you going? But like, maybe I am asking that. <laughs> maybe I. <laughs> I don't know if that's a stupid question or not. But like, but like, what, what is your current work like? Where are you? Are you hoping it leads somewhere? Are you content of just seeing where it goes? Like, what, what is causing you hope? I guess. Oh, I can answer the what is causing my hope a little easier. Yeah. I'm I'm content with seeing where things lead okay. at the moment. That's where I am. The shorter version of it. Yeah, I got that through everything. Uh, what, <laughs> <This entire conversation. laughs> what 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 brought me hope was that um so basically my work with the prison arts organization had to stop because my visa expired. And it expired during the middle of the pandemic. So it was July twenty twenty. And I had to go home. I'm from Shanghai, China. And I went home. And that was the last place I wanted to be. Um, I had a lot of trauma in the family that was not resolved. I frankly, in my mind, escaped my family so that I could feel freedom. And when I went home, it literally felt like I had been away from home for nearly 10 years, for nine years. The moment I went home, it felt like the nine years of my life got closed up in a box, tossed away in a river, sank to the bottom, and I'm right back to 2011 when I never left. So needless to say, super helpless because I feel like environment has a big impact on how we feel. Mm. And China at the time felt freeing in a way because we had opened up from COVID and very not freeing in many other ways um, in people's body language, in the environment. And I started having a lot of issues, mental health, physical health, the whole nine yards. But at the place where I was least, least expected to get help, I got the best help. I met a community of people who are not cultural figures that are known by millions, who are all very, really focused on building community, that they're doing such good work. They're not widely known, and they like it that way because to them, and I'm learning that, everything has its time and pacing. And they taught me so many different practices that I've never even heard of. Family constellations. Um, I never heard of Gestalt therapy. I never heard of transpersonal therapy. I've never heard of plant medicine. Um, And a lot of them are not legal in China, but chocolate is. (laughs) And that community of people, half of them are expats. Actually, more than half of them are expats. But it just got me to see that I really need to spend more time offline. Mm. <laughs> and go, because the people that I look for, the people that actually brought me healing are the people who spend the most time tending to the people around them. And because they spend so much time tending to the people around them and tending to themselves and make sure they're joyful and they're fulfilled, 
No wonder they're not on Instagram all the time.、Mm. Um, but when I spend time with them, every single time I feel recharged, every single time I feel challenged, it just feels like life can be lived in such a different way. There's so many magical, mystical things out there, and that year changed my life. Without that year, this past year, I wouldn't be in New York. So even in the place, I would say one of the few countries people are like mysticism, <laughs> plant medicine, family constellation, which is a some somewhat mystical experience in China. Heck yeah! And the community is really beautiful, and it just might not be where we expect to find it.、Mm. That's a beautiful thing. As I've been. Abby and I talk a lot about this about how do we find community, and that reminder of like, what are the signs, and maybe maybe look at other place or or be or just be open to where it might where it might come from from an unexpected place is a beautiful thing. When we do a part two, we need to start there. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but actually, let's let's do a part two because I really feel like we're just there's a lot more scratching the surface here, and there's a lot to do. So yeah, to be continued. Oh, if people want to follow what you're doing,、um, or, or、um, if you have any public platforms,、um, where can people follow what what you what you're up to? <laughs> or if and if they don't exist, that's fine too. But I mean, y'all know I don't update my website more than once a year, but it's there. <laughs> <laughs> cool.、Um, it's my name, Elchen dot net. I am on Instagram, kind of, kind of on it, kind of not. Um, and、uh, because you're too busy tending to yourself and the people around you, <laughs> I do enjoy it. I do enjoy it.、Yes. I like my Adele reels. Yes, <laughs> I、great. love my Adele reels. We hope you all enjoyed listening to this episode of the 2033 podcast. We encourage you to join the conversation and get involved. There are so many different ways for you to do so. One of which is to go to our website, which is the 2033podcast.com. I guess there's no the, just 2033podcast.com, and there you can see information about all our past speakers. You can also fill out a form if you want to be on the show or you know someone who'd be great at being on the show. Fill out the form. We would love to hear from you. Yeah, and you can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. One really great way to spread the word about our podcast and to help us continue our work is to、uh, rate or leave us a review on our platforms. That way, people are able to see why you guys liked it and what you found valuable out of the show, and that would be helpful. We also just appreciate you taking the time to tell other people about the show, spread the word. We've loved doing this show for the last couple years, and we're excited to keep doing it on for, <laughs> until 2033. Doing it on. So help us out. Tell people about it. Spread the word about our show. We really appreciate it, and we're really grateful for you. Thank you, El. Thank you so much for coming on the show, giving us your thoughts, hearing about your experiences. I found this absolutely riveting, and I think it's going to be useful to a lot of people. I love it. Thank you. Yes, thank you, El. Come back soon. <laughs> This has been a production of Little Scorpion Studios.